So I think this pandemic is going to change the way health plans and healthcare systems look at telehealth as a benefit to patients. Welcome back to another episode of Digital Health Entrepreneurship. This is a fun episode because we uh, we have a special guest on the episode, Jennifer Ginzo Chavez from Credential Genie. Um, so Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today and teaching us more about what you guys are doing with Fruit Street Health. My pleasure. Thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah, so, um, so Fruit Street hired Credential Genie to help with credentialing all of our physicians for our new uh, telemedicine product, COVID-MD, but they've also been helpful in getting us contracts with commercial health plans. Um, Jennifer, can you just give everyone an overview of what your company does? Yeah, so Credential Genie is a national uh, software and credentialing company. So we assist with credentialing anyone and everything, including facility credentialing, physician credentialing, um, medical groups, uh, private practices. Uh, we are we provide services and full outsourcing. So basically, a company can come to us and hire us to be their virtually virtual credentialing department. They get assigned a credentialing specialist to their account who manages their manages everything from physician boarding to keeping physicians and their documents and files in compliance. Um, so yeah, we again we do it uh, across the board nationally. And what I've been amazed at is how um, Jennifer has helped us to get uh, contracts with commercial health plans relatively quickly at a shocking pace. I mean, typically for our diabetes prevention program, it's been this multi-year sales cycle of you know contact an executive at XYZ health plan or employer and just follow up with them every three months, every six months. But in some cases, we've been able to get contracts relatively quickly. Um, so Jennifer, could you just tell everybody how you were able to get COVID-MD, a contract with Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield in what a matter of weeks. Can you just describe that? Yeah, so traditionally, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, credentialing and contracting can take anywhere from 90 to 180 days. Um, most uh, companies or individuals trying to do this uh, independently don't really know where to go for resources and where to even begin. So one of the key things in our success in getting it is we've built a network of rep, uh, provider representative and contacts at these individual health plans over the years of us providing the services. So um, some of those contacts have, have been wonderful to work with that we've been able to um, eliminate kind of the red tape, which a normal company would go through. The other uh, key thing is, is that because Fruit Street had such a physician, large physician interest and network, um, the, you know, obviously the success with the uh, the success with getting a contract is a successful LOI, right? A letter of interest and writing a really good. Uh, background about the company and because Fruit, uh, Fruit Street has a good backing and a good mission and vision, we were able to put that in front of the work representatives to get their attention to get contracts. 
and I think it helped that we had you know over a thousand physicians that have contacted us and wanting to be in the provider network. I mean, do do health plans care about the number of you know clinicians you have when you approach them? Yes, I do believe so. So you have to look at it as in how many members is this group going to uh, how 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 many physicians are going to be. Um, as a resource to our members, right? So as a health plan, I think health plans look at this as, you know, if you are a private practice and you've got larger groups, there's gonna be a better network and access to care for their members. So there's a benefit in them actually offering you a contract. I can't speak to specifics with the with the health plans and how they make their decisions, but I do definitely think that is a benefit. Jennifer, I'd like to back up a little bit. You know, um, a lot of our, the entrepreneurs and digital health professionals who are listening to this know about credentialing, but some don't. Is it credentialing a doctor um, to, who, who works in a few areas in healthcare or is it credentialing um, them to work in physical areas like these states, but not these other states? Could you back up a little bit and just sort of give us the high level, what is credentialing? <laughs> That's a really good question. Credentialing is a very uh, vague term because there's multiple aspects to credentialing. So you have uh, credentialing for compliance as far as you, you work in a hospital and you need a mechanism to be able to onboard your practitioners, ensure that they're competent in the services they're performing um, from a regulatory perspective. And then there's also credentialing for provider enrollment and billing, which is also very highly regulated. So, you know, making sure that practitioners are licensed, that they have received the proper continue, uh, education, postgraduate training, continuing education, um, make sure that practitioners are um, up to date in medicine and treating patients. So uh, credentialing is, like I said, a very vague term. There's even credentialing related to non-independently licensed practitioners. But you know, the whole scope of credentialing is basically looking at that practitioner's background and ensuring that they are um, up to standards and today's medicine and care to be able to access, um, you know, effectively treat patients. Um, and it's all, you know, surrounded by patient safety, of course. Jennifer, I'd, I'd love to dive in a little bit more to what actually goes into cred credentialing a practitioner. You just started mentioning a few things, but are there certain criteria you're looking at? Because I imagine when, um, especially when something like COVID-MD launches where we have to get something up really fast, um, <laughs> credentialing probably has to happen really, really fast, which is why uh, Lawrence has spoken so highly of your guys' service. So what actually goes into credentialing a practitioner? So um, there's different steps into credentialing. Um, so the you know at a high level, there's basically onboarding of practitioners, collecting and gathering their data, um, which effectively we're able to do uh, you know paperless because we have a customized software that does that for us. So collecting, gathering the information that you need to actually begin the credentialing. Um, the second phase is actually performing primary source verifications. And again, it's checking that physician's credentials, making sure that they're licensed and, you know, looking back on any uh, history they have running a national practitioner data bank, et cetera. And then there's also the credentialing from the contracting perspective. So, you know, uh, Fruit Street has its requirements that we set for them and said to quickly onboard a practitioner at a minimum, let's gather criteria, let's start the process. We created that criteria really quickly and we're able to onboard physicians um, fast and expeditiously. 
And now I'm contracting and credentialing. So uh, for every health plan across the state, there is no consistency in requirements of what is required to credential a physician. Um, so it is very... Uh, it's a very interesting process when it comes to working with health plans. Um, so some health plans are going to have stricter requirements and some are going to have lesser. Um, but that's pretty much the gist of it now is, you know, coming up with that criteria, ensuring that you're meeting at least the baseline criteria for most health plans across the board. Um, and, and then kind of going from there. But again, every health plan in the third phase is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find the process really interesting. I mean, when you got that initial contract back from um, Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, it was pretty amazing because it defies all normal business logic. I mean, it was literally a contract that um, didn't even have say what we were getting paid. I mean, typically business people think of, you know, I'm delivering a service or I'm selling a product, and I'm getting paid X amount. That's not exactly how it works. So you, can you kind of explain what, what that means when you get these 60 page contracts back. I mean, what are they called? Like participating provider agreements or something like that. And then, and then you have to kind of follow up and say, well, what's the fee schedule? What am I, what am I getting paid? Yeah. So most health plans have set fee schedules for specific um, codes. Uh, You know, like they have standard codes for medicine, standard codes for surgical, um, standard codes for laboratory. So they basically have set fee schedules. Um, and that a fee schedule is basically what you're going to be reimbursed um, once you see a member and you bill for that services. So a patient, um, you know, comes in with Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield and one of their specific plans. Uh, the health plans will designate a certain fee schedule for reimbursement, which means Fruit Street would get reimbursed for that provider's professional services or services provider provided. Uh, basically what that entails and what those are is off of your state standard, you know, if you're looking at Medicare lines of business or Medicaid, those usually are going to be paid out of the rate of what like Medicare offers right now. Um, and there is some states that have the parity laws, um, which means that they will reimburse for specifically to telehealth, which means that they'll reimburse at the rate as if they were, you know, treating them in an inpatient visit. So uh, fee schedules for some health plans can be renegotiated based off of your services you're providing. Um, and, you know, they may give you an opportunity to reneg- renegotiate those rates if you don't like what their standard rate offering okay. is. Why would they do that? I mean, let's say I approach them and I'm just, you know, this little old startup, like maybe I've raised some money, maybe, you know, in Fruit Street case, we have a thousand providers. I mean, I mean, I'm imagining that having more providers gives you better negotiating leverage, but I mean, you know, why would United Healthcare or Blue Shield even bother negotiating with me? Why why wouldn't they just say, here, this is what you're getting paid, take it or leave it? That's a really good question. I think it's based off of patient need. So um, if you're in an area um, or you're treating a a certain specific uh, specialty or, you know, providing a specific unique care um, to uh, their members, maybe it's a, it's an area where they actually have a lot of members, but they don't have that particular type of practitioner in that area. Maybe it's a rural area. Maybe it's a county where there's not a lot of physicians or groups that want to offer care and your services you're providing. So it's a benefit to the health plans to sometimes negotiate uh, rates because they actually need, you know, different specialties or different provider types in that area to care for their patients mm-hmm. and members. Interesting. And the other thing that blew my mind as part of this process, 
I mean, because typically I work in the diabetes prevention space and now I've expanded into telemedicine services is that, I mean, there's, there's just like these portals, right? Where these health plans can allow you to get credentialed and get contracts. I mean, that doesn't exist for diabetes prevention really, or at least no one in the industry approaches it that way. Again, they go through these long sales cycles. So like, I mean, do these health plans just have like forms you can fill out to just apply to get contracts with them or, or how does, how does that work? So to begin the contracting process, every health plan has its own method to apply. So some of them are just write to us, send it to this generic email address. You really don't get a person or a representative to deal with, um, or they have a specific online portal or a form. So there's forms for different types of specialties. If you're a hospital, you have a certain set of paperwork that you would fill out. If you're a physician group practice, or a PLC, um, you would fill out a specific uh, form. Um, uh, so yeah, every every health plan is different. Some of them, you know, Medicare is really good because they use the PICO system, which is really easy to use now instead of going to paper forms that makes the process more efficient and you can track application status, contracting. But typically when, um, as I mentioned Earlier in the conversation, uh, if you go through, like Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is a really good example, and I don't know whether to call them out or not, but we've we actually bypassed um, applying through the normal, typical way just because we have contacts that uh, we've worked with. So we bypassed that whole step, and we're able to expedite it a little bit quicker. Interesting. What's uh, what is it called? Picos. Uh, what is that exactly for people that don't know? Yeah, so PECOS is a system, and I apologize if I get the acronyms wrong, but the PECOS Medicare system was developed, and it's based, it stands for um, the Provider Supplier Enrollment uh, Source that CMS has developed to be able to apply for a uh, Medicare ID. So it manages the enrollment. And so in Medicare, there's different intermediaries that are responsible for enrolling uh, for different states. And so PECOS actually is a really good software because, or we really like it in the credentialing world, and this might be the nerd in me coming out and loving and, and having passion in credentialing uh, and doing it for so many years, but it really makes the process much better because different inter intermediaries worked differently when it came across paper and they tracked it different ways. So Pecos really brought it all together to make it more efficient. Interesting. And why do you have a passion for credentialing? I mean, I was thinking about it the other day, I'm like, why does this person like this so much? And I, mean, I guess it has to do with access to healthcare. I, mean, I was thinking the same thing. thing. I know. Me and two, you, you've, you've self-identified as <laughs> the new credentialing. How does anyone get into a career in doing this, honestly? I um, fell into it uh, by accident at a young age, and I just really loved that it's so diverse. To me, it's very challenging. Again, as I mentioned, it's not a straight, credentialing is not a straightforward process, and including provider enrollment. Um, you know, when you work in a, I've worked in a hospital setting as well as a medical staff manager, um, working with the physicians and practitioners, and I, I just loved every moment of it. Um, but from the provider enrollment perspective and what we do now with the company that I, you know, I do it for now, Credential Genie, um, every day is a challenge for us. And, you know, us taking that burden from groups and physician groups where they can continue to provide patient care, where we can fight the battles with the health plan, it, it, it just excites me for some reason. <laughs> well, fighting health plans does sound quite fun, actually, but... Um, <laughs> 
I guess, what would your advice be to like a new digital health entrepreneur? I mean, a lot of people start digital health companies right out of college now. They don't know the first thing about credentialing. I didn't even know that word meant when I was 20 years old. Um, I mean, what would your advice be? I mean, should they just, you know, go on LinkedIn and like just email every health plan executive on the planet? <laughs> should they kind of hire someone like you? I mean, I think that, you know, getting a contract with these health plans is one thing. And that kind of gives you like that hunting license to market to their patients. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the health plan is going to like actively push you as like the telemedicine solution. I mean, so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah. So I think for anybody who's starting out a new, uh, a new business, whether it be telehealth, digital mark, uh, you know, a digital health system um, or opening up a private practice, one of the things to keep in mind is that, that, you know, we're lucky to have the resources that we do have and are educated and we do this every day, right? So we specialize in this, but for anybody who's starting out, uh, one of the things that people don't realize is that it does time. So, you know, give yourself at least six monthly way before you start to see reimbursements, contracting and credentialing to, t- to, t- to take place. So when you're opening up a practice, it's not one of those ideas where I'm going to open up a PLLC healthcare company and hire a hundred physicians next week. And I want to start billing next week. That that's not how quickly that happens. So I think taking that into consideration first, when you're planning out your business, uh, future and plan for reimbursement, that's something to consider. The other thing to consider is just making sure that, you know, outsourcing this to people who do this every day is going to be probably more beneficial. Um, So just because a practitioner gets contracted and credentialed, there's still ongoing maintenance for that to keep that practitioner credentialed and in network. So there's, uh, you know, something called CAQH, which most health plans use, which is a universal application where they pull data and making sure that they're help those practitioners keep that up to date. And so that is something that we actually do at Credential Genie as well. Um, And then there's ongoing monitoring. So making sure your practitioners aren't reported to maybe the OIG or exclusions don't exclude themselves from Medicare or Medicaid, Um, keeping up with their licensure, updating malpractice insurance and keeping your network uh, provider member directories up to date. So there's requirements to do quarterly attestations with all these contracts now that you've just been given. So hiring somebody who's knowledgeable in this is going to be beneficial. It's not like anybody can just come in and do credentialing and understand all the whole scope. So I think, you know, outsourcing is definitely a benefit to companies just starting out who may not have that knowledge or a person that they can hire to do this for them. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Jennifer, I'm really interested in the the current pandemic and uh, potentially from your experience, have health plans been responding really fast you know, to digital health solutions and telemedicine? Are they just like saying yes quicker, you know, like prioritizing these sort of solutions or what? Thanks to a lot of the CMS push for um, expedited processes and and eliminating the red tape, there has Mm -hmm. been quite a few health plans that have also lowered those standards to provide an expeditious process. So United Healthcare was one of those that we've been able to do. So one of the the benefits of us is we subscribe to all these health plans and we keep up with the news to follow who's actually loosening those rules right now and providing that expeditious process to onboard practitioners so they can quickly treat these patients. Um, So yes, some of the health plans have followed suit and have uh, been much more responsive during this time. And do you think that's going to benefit digital health companies in the long run, like Fruit Street, where... I mean, obviously the pandemic is going to end eventually, um, but we're going to have these kind of permanent 
contract, essentially. Yep. So I think, you know, watching how the health plans have, you know, restricted some of this red tape and um, even with Medicare and expeditious processes and stuff like that, to me in the back of my mind, also with telehealth, a lot of insurance companies didn't have special contracting for telehealth or didn't know what to do with telehealth and telemedicine um, overall. So I think this pandemic is going to change the way health plans and healthcare systems look at telehealth as a benefit to patients. I do feel like there's going to be stricter laws because, of course, I'm still trying to follow how are they going to keep up with the integrity of patient safety and all these requirements that surround us in, in this industry. Um, but I definitely feel like this is going to be a benefit long term. And I, I feel that, you know, it opens up the eyes of health plans that we can do this faster. We can bring care and access to providers to these, especially, like I said, in those rural areas. So, you know, if they're doing it now during a pandemic, there's a way around it for long term success. Right. Yeah, I think that is, uh, I think that's a really good point. And, um, this work is, I mean, it's clearly necessary and needed. I'd love to kind of wrap this up by just asking you, Jennifer, what do you think, uh, I guess either needs to change or maybe what are some of the bigger challenges that the industry, uh, that the industry has, like that you guys are hoping to kind of address here in the next few years or something? What are some of the challenges in front of the credentialing industry? Yeah, I think one of the challenges that we face is the inconsistencies in the processes of health health plans. So, you know, standardized processes, uh, standardized application or standardized credentialing requirements across the board would be the ideal thing for every practitioner, whether you're a hospital, group, telehealth, whatever platform you're using, um, really strict guidelines and you know, systematic processes for all this would be ideal. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's not in the world we live in, but that is definitely the dream of Credential Genie is maybe eventually trying to figure out how we can work with all the different states and health plans, which is which is bigger than right. it sounds, much bigger than it yeah. sounds. Is, is that as simple as like a single payer healthcare system? Like, is that the solution or is that kind of what you guys are advocating for? Or? <laughs> That would <laughs> Is that what you're advocating for? <laughs> that would be ideal. Actually, no, just universal credentialing requirements across the board, you know, and yeah. I think that was one of the reasons why CAQH was created, but it still is not, it's not there. It's so inconsistent and it, it makes things so difficult. Very, very difficult. I mean, I always think that that single payer system would be easier because then digital health companies wouldn't have to, you know, do all this pitching and sales to health plans. And it would just be like, great, Medicare is paying for digital diabetes prevention, telehealth, behavioral health. It would just be one payer. But absent of that, I I guess a universal credentialing system would be nice as well. (laughs) We're making progress. Everybody's, everybody's moving the ball forward. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. What is the best way for people to find out, um, you know, where to contact you, where to contact Credential Genie? How can people get in touch with you? 
Yeah, so the best uh, way to look at uh, what Credential Genie does in our services is also to visit our website. So our website is uh, www.credentialgenie.com. Um, if anybody's interested in services, there's a way to uh, schedule a discovery call directly with me. There's also a way to get yourself on my calendar to do a demo of our software and talk about our services. So um, awesome. anybody who's interested in learning more can definitely reach just Great. that way. And they can find that calendar to get a demo on, on the website. Yep. It, it goes directly to our calendar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wonderful. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Um, we're really grateful. And, uh, I think it is evident that, uh, companies like you are super needed as, as we try and move healthcare forward each day. Thank you for having us. We Thanks, guys. are excited thank about it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Digital Health Entrepreneurship with Lauren Strahard. If you haven't already, take a look at some of our other episodes and leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. We will see you tomorrow on Digital Health Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm.